0: This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. You're locked on Maple Leafs. Your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Your team every day.
0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Lease Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's Brother from TSN's Overdrive. Get me up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked On Lease. And if you like what's here today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating and review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. All right. So the Leafs did not advance to round two of the playoffs today. We'll have to wait another couple of days to see if they can do it in game six, because game five, they lost it to the Montreal Canadiens by a score of four to three in overtime. Nick Suzuki getting the OT winner for the Habs, keeping their season alive. Um, it was an awful, awful turnover leading to that goal, and that was kind of one of the themes about tonight's game. And to join me to discuss this defeat is none other than our man, Tony Ferrari. Tony, what was going through your head when you saw that unreal assist by Alex Galchenyuk <laughs> en route to the overtime winner by Suzuki?
1: Oh man! Like you said, it was an unreal assist by him. Credit to him. What a pass! No looking. Double agent, but
0: double agent Alex Galchenyuk. This, this That's is just. just it. A, this is. Yeah. Just
1: a whole he it was, just 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 it was just one of those games. It's just one of those games where he, he was good for so long during the game, and, and then in overtime he made a mistake, and and people give him crap for it. But man, he he's played a good series so far since he's been in. That mistake sucks, though. Really, really sucks at the end of it.
0: Yeah. No. It, obviously you know it's it, joking god I'm a double agent he's he's been good he's he's been fine for uh for Toronto but um yeah I thought I thought tonight was tonight was interesting it was kind of the reverse of what the rest of the series has been like right like Montreal actually had the good second period and then Toronto had to come back in the third period and they did they they had a great third period scored a couple goals brought it to OT and then 59 seconds in uh didn't even didn't even get to enjoy overtime Right? Like that was the first OT that we that we've had in this series. It was only fifty-nine seconds coming off the heels of that triple overtime thriller between the Oilers and Jets. I feel cheated.
1: Yeah, man. I felt like we could have had a couple overtimes with the way this game was going at times today, but it, it just felt like a sloppy game all around for the Leafs. Like they never really seemed to get in sync. Um, but the crazy thing is, like you look at the game flow charts and stuff, and it it sided with the Leafs for the most of the game. Like they had that that opening bad uh, 15 minutes of the game and 10-15 minutes of the game and and then they kind of got things right and they were at least pushing play positively and and uh, I mean you look at the the shot four percentages and, and everything and they started winning it as the game went on after losing it in the first period they won it in the second and third so it's one of those games where I think the Leafs came out with a kind of a slow start a sluggish start the Canadians knew what they had to do and, and they ended up winning the game in overtime on a really nice pass by Alex gotcha <laughs>
0: <laughs> well Montreal came to play I don't think there's any 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 doubts about that they knew that their season was on the line today and like you said the first 15 minutes it was they were you know really really aggressive um, on the offensive attack they were they're putting pucks on goal and were rewarded with a couple of garbage goals uh, but ended up did you know goals of gold they don't ask how many or they don't ask how they just ask how many and You know, clogging up the neutral zone, taking the ice away from the lease as they try to break into the O zone. Didn't give them much uh, to do early in the first period. So Montreal, they set the tone pretty early on that they were going to try and keep their season alive. Um, and ultimately the least battle back, like you said, battle back, brought it to OT couple goals by Jake Muzzin, who had an unbelievable game. Um, but at the end of the day, Nick Suzuki scoring the overtime winner, just 59 seconds in, uh, let's go through our three stars of the game. We'll get that out of the way. And then we can break down this game in its entirety after that. Um, let you go first. Who was your third star of tonight's game?
1: All right, I'm going to give it to him, even though he got two secondary assists and it wasn't huge plays that he made on either goal. But William Nylander, man, he's been the best player for the Leafs all series long. And tonight he just continued to get chance after chance. It seemed every time he got on the ice, something was being created offensively. He was one of the few players that, like you mentioned, the Leafs started getting stuck up in the neutral zone. They weren't able to transition the puck all that well. Well, but Nylander seemed to be the one guy that can continuously cut through that defense and cut through that neutral zone trap that they were employing for at times in the game. So, I mean, kudos to Nylander being being as good as he was. P- picked up two assists, and I mean, w- what else can you say about this guy? He's he's come to play in the playoffs when a few of the other stars haven't quite done so.
0: Hundred percent, and and well deserved. And, and you know, for as great as you know Nylander has been, I'm still baffled that his ice time is is a lot lower than it should be. Like just barely getting over the 17-minute mark in a game where he was clearly the best Leaf on the ice. Meanwhile, you have guys like Marner who's been rather silent, and and Matthews both getting just a hair under 25 minutes. I understand they're your best players, and you're going to ride them as as you know as much as possible. But I feel like you got to get Nylander out there on the ice a lot more when he's hot, because when he's hot, he's just as good as anybody else out there. And, you know, I feel like only getting him 17 minutes is kind of a disservice to to, to the Maple Leafs, especially the way that he's been playing. Um, I'm going to, since you went with Nylander, he was clearly somebody who deserves to be in this three-stars category. I'm glad you did. But I also wanted to give some love, actually, to the third line. I don't know about you, but I actually like that, that kind of newly formed third line of, of Engvall-Mikheyev and Wayne Simmons, I felt that they actually had a, a pretty good game, um, especially early on. They were kind of buzzing. They were forechecking hard, creating some turnovers. They were cycling the puck really well. Had a couple of chances that won Simmons uh, about midway through the first that just kind of went right up. I think it hit the bar, um, but almost beat Carey Price to open up the scoring. But that third line, I felt, was was pretty strong um, throughout, the, throughout the entire game. So I wanted to give them some love with my third star.
1: No, I totally agree with you. And it's funny that they're actually the only line where all three members of the team finished above the 50% mark in the Corsi battle. So I mean, it, it, they played a great game. They seem to be effective on almost every shift. And I mean, pure angval, Morgan in Ilya McKayev give you that speed factor. Wayne Simmons is a guy that's going to get in your face and hit you when he needs to. And I, I thought they played a really good game today and they didn't necessarily bleed blood or they didn't, bleed chances or anything they kind of push the play offensively and uh, even if they're not scoring I think that line if they can do that that's that's how you get success
0: uh who's your second star tonight
1: my second star I gotta give it to, to Jake Muzzin because I gotta give it to a couple halves at the first star but Jake Muzzin two goals to, today I, I mean the second or the his second goal I didn't even think he got it at first it was just this nice little tip as he cut into the the offensive zone on the rush like man, this this guy just seemed to be all over the puck, especially in the third period. And it just kept coming to him and he kept firing off shots. And he, he was a big reason why the Leafs were able to get this game to overtime.
0: Yeah. I actually gave him my first star to be quite honest with you. Like I thought Muzzin was, was fantastic in his own zone um, Scored twice, got, you know, both goals in the third period. Um, you know, Jake Muzzin, this is, this, it was a, it was a great game for him for sure, which is why I gave him um, my first star. My second star I still gave to Carey Price though. Um he was, you know, he kept this team in it and, and that Muzin goal late definitely hurt the game tying goal. That's not a great one uh, it's something where he wishes like a fraction of a second he closed his legs earlier that went five hole. But other than that, I mean, you can't really fault him, I guess. He did he couldn't see the first shot and then the 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 or the the Sorry, the Muzzin goal, his first goal, the shot from the point just probably didn't see it. There's bodies all out in front. The first goal, you know, Marner kind of takes him out of position, but then just kind of ping pongs off a bunch of different players and ends up in the back of the net. But ultimately, Carey Price, um, especially early on in this game, was was on his A game, and and you know he, he, when he's making like stops like that, you just know that it's going to be a tough night to beat Carey Price. And uh, today, he was he was a, a fairly good goaltender and definitely willed that team to victory.
1: Yeah, I think I mean Carey Price is the guy I was going to give my first star with an honorable mention to Joel Armia, but. Even in the like, you look at Carey Price's numbers, and, and yeah, the Leafs kind of outshot them by the end. Of, or the, yeah, the Leafs outshot them by the end of the game, but Carey Price was kept them in the game in that first period. That first period, the high, despite Montreal completely outshooting Toronto in the first period, the high danger chances were actually in Toronto's favor, seven to two. The, some of the saves he was making, there was that save on Marner on that quick in type chance. There was a couple, say, three or four saves on Nylander tonight that just were outstanding. Man, Carey. Carry Price in his head, and yeah, he led in a couple of those week goals late. But I don't think the Habs would have been there if, if Carry Price hadn't been as good as he was in the first two periods.
0: Yeah, like one hundred percent. And Carry Price has been great this entire playoffs. Like he has exceeded my expectations. Not because I think that he's washed and 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 you know not the same Carry Price that that he used to be, but just the fact that he was injured the whole last month of the season. Like I wasn't sure that he was going to be able to come in and be healthy and be as good as he, as good as he's been to, to be honest with you, but definitely has exceeded my expectations and has stolen a couple of games here for Montreal and has given them a chance to win each and every one of them. Um, all right. So those are our three stars of the game. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's break this thing down and, uh, go through, some of the things we liked, some of the things we didn't like. And then, uh, well, we'll we'll chat a little bit about what might come about in game six. Because, Tony, there's going to be fans in the stands. That's exciting. We'll chat about that next. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast. Mike DiStefano, the host of this program. And just a reminder, this is a daily Maple Leafs podcast. And this is the playoffs. We're going on a run. I'm, I'm I'm calling my shot. Police are going on a run, and you're not gonna want to miss out on this podcast. Uh, so make sure that you are subscribed to lockdown lease wherever you get your podcast from. Joining me to talk about tonight's game is our good friend Tony Ferrari and Tony. Um, couple of things that really stuck out to me early on. We talked about it a little bit at the top of the podcast, but I felt that, you know, Montreal really came to play early on. They were they were super aggressive. Um, putting pucks on goal and and not allowing them to get into the, uh, not allowing the Maple Leafs get into the kitchen. But something that I also felt was, was something that they did today that they weren't really able to do through the first four games is they were able to get into the gritty areas and out in front of Jack Campbell. You take a look at those first couple of goals. There were all the goals really were scored within like, or yeah, technically all the goals were scored within like five feet of the crease. And that was something that Montreal just was not able to do early on that they're finally able to break through. And it was, it was successful tonight.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Like Montreal is a team that they're not going to necessarily skill you even, even when they're playing other teams that are in, in their range of, of natural skill level, they're not going to win the game by just skilling you. So especially with a team like the Maple Leafs who, who have guys like Nylander, Matthews, I mean, Tavares when he's healthy and, and the list, goes on of guys who can just fire the puck from the top of the circle and legitimately be a goaltender at will at times. So like the Canadians have to be that team that gets in tight, scores those ugly goals. I don't think any of their goals necessarily were on the highlight reel today. Like that, Paul Byron goal from a few days ago was a thousand times nicer than anything they scored today. And, and that's how the Canadians are going to win. They're going to get those goals from in tight. They're going to get the ugly ones, the ones where Jack Campbell's on his back, flipping back and forth. And it kind of just squeaks under him and stuff like that. That's how the Montreal Canadians are going to win games. And to their credit, they, they got it in the kitchen. They, they did that today.
0: Yeah. We're like in the past. And, also, I, I wonder your thoughts on Campbell's game today. I felt like he wasn't as sharp as he had been in the past, and, and I wonder if, if he's getting a little bit fatigued. We knew that this was kind of an issue that he had earlier in the season. Would you say that maybe some of the goals that were allowed today, the, the, the lack of puck tracking, may be attributed to to some fatigue starting to, to settle in on, on Jack Campbell?
1: I think it definitely is fatigue, and like I won't be shocked tomorrow if we see the practice lines come out and everything. And he's not even on the ice; he's going to take another maintenance day, like he did earlier in the series. But it was one of those things where, like, it wasn't even the puck tracking that I thought was the issue, because you'd see his eyes move over towards the where the puck is going to be. But it was his legs that seemed to be kind of tracking behind him, and he was a little bit slow with his leg movement and everything. So I think a day off will do him wonders because he he has been really really good. Uh, Maybe that back to back was a little bit more strenuous on him than he thought, but I mean. He's been there the the Leaf's guy all season long, basically. So you gotta keep riding him, you gotta keep pushing him. And at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's really all that worried about Jack Campbell at the end of the day.
0: No, I mean he's he's this Leaf's number one goaltender. I don't think they're gonna turn the turn the crease over to, to Freddie Anderson if I mean unless Campbell legitimately can't go and he comes mm-hmm. out and he's like, I can't do it. Um I and you know, he's he strikes me as the kind of guy who would come out and say like my body won't let me do it and it, you know this team would have a better chance at winning if Freddie a healthy Freddie was in net because I just I'm not going to be able to give it my all tonight based on how my body is feeling and unless that happens Campbell's going to be in net Saturday night like that's that's just going to happen um what else about tonight uh, kind of stuck out to you
1: the big thing that stuck out to me was Rasmus Sandin playing maybe his worst game of the season today. He he was really rough early on. And, and I think Keith noticed that right away. And to his credit, he, he limited the bench. Sandin didn't see a shift late in the game. And I mean, I don't think I would have given him a shift. And, and everyone that's ever heard me talk about Rasmus Sandin knows how much I like the kid. I think he's going to be a really good defenseman in the NHL, but I think this was the game that maybe gives Travis Dermott that opportunity to get back in there and, and really establish himself on this roster for however long the Leafs are in the playoffs. And hopefully, like you said earlier, it's a long run, but I, I think Travis Dermott comes in, he played a really good game the other day. If he comes back in and plays another good game in game six on Saturday, I think we could see that switch go full time. And I mean, like I said, I love Rasmus Sandin long-term. He's going to be a great defenseman on in the top four of this team. So it's not something I'm worried about, but yeah, that physicality, that, uh Montreal showed today I think one of the things with Rasmus Sandin is that he sometimes thinks he has more time than he does and, and we saw that a few times today where he's getting rushed behind the net he got hit by Perry and, and caused that turnover like it, there was a few things that happened today where he just wasn't seeing the time and space like he, he should have or he has in the past and and that's an issue at playoff time especially in a, when a team's going to play overly physical like this
0: yeah, he, he definitely struggled uh, in, in tonight's game, and I, I had the same thought process as you. I was going to ask you that question. If if you had the lineup card, who do you go with, Sandin or Dermot? Sounds like you've already answered that question for me. But, um, you know, you, you think it the, the turnover on the Armia goal, outbodied by Yemi on that third goal, I, I, he was he played six minutes and 11 seconds tonight. He really um, – I think it was after the Yemi goal. I don't think he actually – played much he may have got like one or two shifts after that but that was it i think the whole third period he sat and um keith was just you know double shifting riley double shifting muzzin um you know and and they ended up riley up to to 20 minutes or 28 minutes so he he ended up playing with bogosian quite a bit um along with muzzin but yeah Sandine for me definitely struggled but I, i just wonder because you know, we felt that he struggled in game one as well. And he clearly was, you know, a, a costly play um on the Paul Byron goal was was kind of, you know, not necessarily his fault, but you know, he didn't play it properly. And then a couple goals, you know, you can attribute again here tonight to, to Sandine, um, a dash two on the on the ice for, for a couple. And they went back to him in game two and like he kind of doubled down and said Instead of, like, punishing him for a poor game, he actually rewarded him with power play time and kind of gave him confidence. I wonder if he tries to do that again going into game six.
1: I think that would have been a possibility if he didn't kind of bench him in this game. Like, if he if he let him kind of get some shifts, even if he reduced the time, but That's like you said... Point he really just shut him down after that third goal. And I think that's the the coach going, you know what, we're, we're in game five. Like now we're getting late in the series. If we go to game six and game seven, like we need to make sure that we're playing our best players. And, and right now, right. this second Rasmus Sandin just maybe is the seventh best defenseman on this team. And like I said, I love the kid. I think he's going to be great going forward, but this is the playoff time, man. Like we, we, we need Travis Dermott in there. Maybe kind of given that little bit of attitude that he has, he doesn't mind getting up in a guy's face. I don't, he he's a strong guy. Like he's deceptively strong for being a smaller defenseman. Like he maybe doesn't get muscled out on that third goal, And it, even if he does cause that turnover early in the game that Sandine did as well. So it's going to be one of those things where I'm I'm really interested to see how Travis Dermott responds because he was a guy that's been in the lineup almost every day this season,
0: and I liked him last game too. And and, and I, you know, I I wasn't sure how I felt about taking Sandine out. For game four and swapping him in with Dermot, and then so quick to toss him back in there after a really strong game by Dermot, it it kind of jarred me a little bit. I understand it because Sandine's a guy who they clearly view as as a, a big piece of their future, but at the same time, you know, you're coming off a big win. Why are you going to tinker with the lineup like that? It, it didn't make much sense, and it seemed to really kind of well bite Keefe in the ass like tonight. Like at the end of the day, Sandine. um somewhat of a direct result of, of two of the four goals. And that's the difference of the hockey game.
1: And and that's just it, right? Like you're at, like I said, we're getting to, now we're getting into the later parts of the series. Now it matters a little bit more. And, And now you can't have five defensemen on the ice. It's going to be honest with you. Like it's, it's going to get tough if you're going to have to keep playing that six defensemen only six minutes a night. Like you're going to need Dermot in there, whoever's in there, whether it is Sandin or Dermot. Playing ten minutes, eleven minutes, and getting those minutes up so that Riley doesn't have to play twenty-eight, so that Muzzin's not up at twenty-five. So TJ Brody's not up at twenty four. Same with Justin Hall. Like you had a lot of guys playing big minutes tonight because you had to take one out of the lineup. And I, I don't think that's something you can do long term in the playoffs, especially with how rough and tumble it is. I, I think if Dermot comes in and he plays well, I think you gotta start riding him a little bit because I mean he's earned it over the last couple of years playing in this this team and, and being in the lineup on an almost daily basis.
0: I'm going to get you to keep your coach's hat on. Um, So the Leafs only had one power play tonight. And technically, they didn't score on it, although the Muzzin goal came like seconds after it expired. Um, But that was also like on the PP2 unit. The first power play. Can you explain to me why William Nylander is not playing on that power play the way that he is like playing right now? Why don't you swap out a Jumbo or a hymen? Can you explain to me why, like, Keith's reasoning for, for doing this? Clearly, that first unit is just not doing much of anything these days. Um, switch it up. Put your yeah. most dynamic offensive threat in this series on that top unit. Get him to play more than 41 seconds of your two-minute power play.
1: It's it's pretty funny that you say that, actually, because he was actually the only player to register a shot on the power play today. Um, oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I think he, he needs to get up on that first power play unit. Um, Hyman or, or Thornton, I think you could probably switch one of them out, realistically. I don't think you need both guys there because both of them kind of play a bit more of a stationary game. They're best when they're not having to kind of jump in and out of the slot and everything. They can kind of stay around the net and do what they do there. So whichever one – when you prefer there I personally prefer Hyman there I think Thornton can go down to the second unit but I think the reasoning is because he wants to try to spread out the talent you got Matthews and Marner who want the puck all the time on that top unit you put William Nylander there you're spreading the puck out a little bit more I think personally I think he's more effective on the power play than Mitch Marner I love Mitch Marner to death I think he's a great player but the the stagnation he showed on the power play over the last little while exp- I mean I shouldn't even say a little while like half the season basically we saw this power play struggle and the power Here. play runs through him on that top unit so it's it's a little bit of a, a weird thing and maybe putting him down on the second unit and Nylander up on the first maybe that's a switch you could make
0: well Tony here's here's my my biggest issue with this with this top power play unit right now they don't have enough shooters yeah like the only guy who really is shooting the puck like with any type of like you know threat is Austin Matthews so it's, it's you know, when they talk about the least power play being so predictable, it's not that, like, you know, you have to do this crazy film and and you can figure it out. Just make sure that you know where Austin Matthews is at all times and then you're not going to allow any shots on goal because you're just going to, you know, you're going to uh, isolate him and, and make sure that they don't get him the puck. And if they do, close in. Don't let him get an opportunity. At least if you get William Nylander out there, he's another threat. And if you have them both on each side of the ice that you got to stretch out that defense a little bit, stretch out that PK and they can't just kind of shade to one side where Matthews is the whole time. Like that, that would be my reasoning for why I think Nylander should be on that top power play. They just don't have enough shooters and they need another option so that, you know, it's not as predictable that the puck is always going to end up on Matthews' stick.
1: Yeah, I've been advocating all year for for this power play to kind of load up and put Nylander on that top unit and move Mitch Marner off the half wall. I know he, we've seen so many nice passes from him from the half wall, but he struggled this year from that position. Move him into that middle spot, give him a rover position, tell him to get low behind the net. If he, he can do some stuff, make some great passes from below the goal line. I think that really changes the angle, changes the eye level of both the goalie and the defenseman. If you put Nylander and Matthews on the flanks, you get a guy like Riley up front and then Thornton in the middle or Hyman in in, in the front of the net, then, then you get Marner able to kind of just rove around the zone. He doesn't have to be a guy that's a stagnant position. Matthew, Mitch Marner is at best when he is in motion. When he sits down and sits in one spot, he loses a lot of his dynamic ability. I think you get him moving behind the net. I think you get him going to the high slot. I think you get him in position to make passes to more than one player, and, and that's how you get that power play going. But, man, like – just having him on the half wall, like you said, he he's not a shooting threat as much as he started shooting a little bit more this year. He's just not that dangerous shooting threat that can just beat a goalie clean.
0: No, no, definitely not. And like, I don't know what it is about Mitch Marner. Um, but like, he kind of just goes quiet in the playoffs. This is the third playoffs in a row where Marner's game has really tapered off and, and you know, still, still looking for that first goal. Um, hasn't provided a lot of offense. I mean, technically, the the Hyman goal was set up by, you know, Marner making a nice play, bringing Carey Price out of his crease. But, you know, even that, that's a just a pretty fluky, garbage goal. And outside of that, there wasn't, much opportunities or there wasn't many big scoring threats. I thought from that top line, um, which, and they got to get going. Like that's a big reason. Imagine the way that this, the, the depth is playing right now. This team should have, this game should be over. This series should be over. Like, could you imagine if this, if the depth was playing the way that they were that third line, you know, playing as good as they are, you got this Galchenyuk, Kerfoot and Nylander line, who's playing extremely well right now. And then imagine if they actually were getting production from that top line, this thing would be long gone and we'd be already getting ready, getting set for the Winnipeg Jets.
1: And that's just it, right? Like that top line is really, I don't want to say they're struggling because they're getting chances, but like you said, there's so many moments. Like we look at that, that Mitch Marner assist today on the Hyman goal and you you see what he does. And he weaves through the offensive zone and then he just waits way too long, loses handle the puck and throws a desperation pass that ends up working out and like credit to him for throwing the pass, but he had, two opportunities that i spotted on that play to take a clear shot where he had open space at the net and he just didn't shoot the puck he's so adverse to shooting the puck and i don't understand why because he has a decent wrist shot especially when he's in tight he can get that flick of the wrist up there and get the puck elevated he has that skill but he doesn't like shooting he wants to pass every chance he gets and and to a flaw like that's not necessarily what you want him doing you want him shooting a little bit more so that you can keep guys honest and like you said, that top line, if they're going, if Matthews is able to generate a little bit more because he's getting chances, he's not able to finish. Carey Price has been – he's got his number this series. It's been impressive. But, man, if that top line's going, like you said, this series is probably over, and it's it probably over in four games, let's be honest.
0: Probably. I mean, yeah, because game one they lost, but it was a 2-1 game. You know, if that top line scores a goal or two like they were doing back when they were, you know, clicking on all cylinders – And then for sure that, that, that was a four game sweep. It it definitely would have been, but I got a text from, uh, from somebody and I'm just going to share it. This is um, a coach in the OHL, actually a friend of mine. He texted me about this, about Marner. He's like, sometimes I just can't stand watching playoff Marner. I don't know if he changes his game or teams just play him that much harder. He just looks kind of slow and weak. It's so weird. He delays inside the zone too soon, creates no separation, ends up either turning it over or punting or settling for something he shouldn't. I mean, yeah. (laughs) I was just going to say that... that
1: Yeah, that's the perfect example of it. And and I think there's an element of that, that the fact that it is playoff Marner that we're seeing do this because in the playoffs, what do we always say? The game slows down a bit, everyone gets a little bit tighter checking. And as I mentioned earlier, Marner's at his best when he is in motion, when he is mobile, when he is flying around the offensive zone, when he is doing stuff. Because the second he has to sit down, the second he has to try to find space and sit in it, that's when he struggles. He seems to be far less dynamic when he's not on the move. But when he's on the move, he's one of the most dangerous players in the league. And the playoffs, you don't get the space to be on the move like he loves to do. And I think that's going to be an adjustment we're going to have to start seeing. And it, I hope we see it in this playoffs because it's going to be tough to win when you got a, a guy who, who I, I know the salary cap doesn't matter, but when your $11 million player isn't really doing a whole lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, listen, I, I don't think it's going to happen. The Leafs got to win, you know, one of, of three games. I think they could yeah. do it. Um, now it's one of two, but, I, you know, if for whatever reason, you know, the Habs pull out this massive upset. This is going to be a tough offseason for Mitch Marner. He's going to have to answer a lot of questions because this is now three straight years where he's been rather inexistent and hasn't been productive in the playoffs. And for a guy, like you said, making 11 million bucks, it's kind of inexcusable.
1: Yeah. It's at the point now where I think we're we're starting to see people who are even the biggest Marner fans and myself yeah. included, who are, who are starting to go all right, like what, what's going on here? And and I, I really do think it has a lot to do with the fact that he just doesn't have the space he's, he's accustomed to. And and we all talk about it. The, the, the refs kind of put the whistles away a little bit in the playoffs. And that means when he gets checked entering the zone by uh, Brennan Gallagher, there's not going to be a call there. He's not getting that call every time. And I mean, today that was the one penalty they got, but I mean it, it's not going to be something that he's getting every game and and he's got to know that.
0: Gallagher Gallagher's been a pest this series. Like he's he's getting under the skin of, of both him and Matthews. Like even there was a I mean I thought it was a pretty blatant interference yeah. call in the first period on Austin Matthews that one uncalled. But like though like uh, he's just he's such a little agitator and like he's one of those guys who you uh you hate to play against but love to have on your team um and, and it's just like Oh my god, I, I I hate that I hate him because I want to like him so much, but he's just such a little pest. Um and he's making life difficult for for that line, for for Marner and, and for for Matthews. Um all right, let's um is there anything else about tonight's game that uh that that you want to chat about quickly before
1: we kind of tee up game six? No, I think the Leafs just need to get back to what they're doing and, and play like they did in the second and third period because if they do that, they'll, they'll probably come away with the win on Saturday.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right, we'll take one more quick break and when we come back, let's, uh, let's chat about Game 6, which is going to be in Montreal. Fans in the stands, how much of an impact is that going to have? We'll find out next. Welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. Mike DiStefano, the host of this program, with you. Alongside me, I've got my good friend, Tony Ferrari. Um, Tony, so the Leafs dropping Game 5, 4-3 in overtime. Uh, going to Game 6 now. And what makes Game 6 extremely interesting is that for the first time since March of 2020, there will be fans in the stands at a Canadian NHL game. How much of an impact do you think that will have on this next game?
1: I honestly, I I think it's going to have a huge impact on both both teams. And I I think it's going to be a a boost for both teams at the start of the game. I could see this, both teams coming out super hot. They're going to be on fire. They're like, just that that opening cheer, even even the, though the Leafs are going to be the away team, that opening cheer, hearing the fans in the sta- stands for the first time, in a guy like Matthews knowing that with one shot he can silence the the limited fans that'll be there, I, I think it's going to be just an insane environment. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. I, I can't wait till Saturday comes.
0: Yeah, I I think it's going to be too. I mean, you look at around the league what you know those first couple of playoff games were like. Uh, in, in, you know, like in Florida, in Carolina, uh, in Colorado, Vegas, go up and down and, and you just take a look at those first few games at the playoffs where they were just packed with fans for like the first time and it, it was just like great hockey. It, it just really inspired the the players to go out and, and give it their all and, and really gave them a little bit of extra juice And I think that's what this series needs. I think that's what Matthews and Marner and Hyman need. Um, I mean, I get it. They've they've been able to compete and, you know, they've all had kind of career years this season without fans in the stands. I get it. But at this point when they are – kind of struggling a little bit to, to create some offense. I think that having some people and having some noise in the building, having some guys, you know, some, some, you know, Montreal fans, heckling them, giving them a little bit more um, of an edge to go out there and shut them up may be beneficial uh, for, for Toronto as well.
1: Uh, I completely agree with you. Like I said, it's going to be interesting to see which, which players come out hot right away. Um, one thing I did want to mention on the tickets, though, I just happened to come across this as I was scrolling through Twitter real quick. The their prices? T- oh, they're over at thousand dollars Canadian right now. Wow. Oh boy. I'm not yeah.
0: surprised. I'm really not surprised. I'm, I, you know what? I'll be curious to see though. Toronto travels. I'm gonna be oh, curious yeah. to see how many Leafs fans find their way into that building, and how much is going to be Leafs, and how much is going to be Habs you guarantee i mean especially considering that a lot of these tickets are going to be sold like on the secondary market i mean unless you go through some sort of vetting process you don't know who you're selling to there's a lot of rich leaf fans or rich leaf business owners who would love to go to a game and would love to make that six seven hour trek out to montreal and uh that's what i'm curious to see is is really when when you split it down how many are going to be leaf fans how many are going to be habs fans
1: yeah and this article on bar down here they have a couple of uh tweets in, uh, of people who, who had bought in tickets and a couple of them are leafs fans paying twenty five hundred dollars for a pair of <laughs> tickets to watch the leafs play the habs and his wife's gonna kill him and yep she will so <laughs> enjoy the game man because that's the last thing you'll see but oh man it's, it's gonna be a, a ton of fun i can't wait for the game
0: what what like would you do to get a ticket to that game like oh. not not a, not a money value but like is there something you would be willing to do to get a ticket to 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 go to that game to go to game 6 in montreal
1: uh i don't even know there there i'd probably do a, a some inappropriate stuff for a like, ticket to that game like would you would
0: you eat some weird stuff
1: oh yeah i would eat whatever cuz i'm i'm a garbage <laughs> gut i can put whatever in me and i usually can deal with it but man I I I do some fear factor eating stuff and yeah, stuff like that for tickets for sure.
0: That's what I'm thinking. Or like where, I don't know, like, like exactly. Like fear factor where you sitting in, in like some box and they put scorpions all over you and, you know, like end up putting you in like some bucket full of bees or something like that. I, I don't know if I, I'd be willing to do that, but um, yeah, that's, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun, fun atmosphere. And, 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 you know that's kind of the silver lining, I guess, of the Leafs losing tonight's game is the fact that, you know, we this is going to be a big one, right? Like this is a a monumental uh, thing for Canadian hockey. The fact that this is going to be the first game in since last March. So we're talking what fifteen months? Like that's a long time fourteen, fifteen months since we've had fans witnessing NHL hockey games. I know it's in Montreal, it's not here in Toronto, that sucks, but I think it's still just, like, a really, really cool thing and, like, a a tiny silver lining about uh, Montreal winning tonight's game.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a nice little, like... Thing in the back of your pocket right and uh, unfortunately it might be the only time we see fans in the stands for the the, the canadian portion of the playoffs because i don't know if i, I based on how things are going on in ontario and how thing they're be treating everything in ontario i don't know if they'll let people in maybe later in the playoffs we'll have to see but uh I, in winnipeg as well I, I don't know if they'll be letting people in there so either so it could be this one little game that that's all we get for the canadian portion of the playoffs but I mean, let's just enjoy the fact that there's going to be a few fans in the building. Let's enjoy the fact that uh, Cole Caulfield might be able to inspire them and and get the crowd going, or or a guy like Austin Matthews or William Nealand will be able to completely silence them and and nullify the fact that they're there and kind of make it a a fun game that way. In terms of on-the-ice product,
0: um, what are a couple of things that you think that the Maple Leafs are going to have to do in Game 6 to make sure that that thing doesn't reach a Game 7?
1: I think they're going to have to come out hot. I think I wouldn't be shocked if, if Keith did something fun, like load up that top line, put Matthews, Marner and Neilander all out there at once to start the game, just to get something going, like just to push the pace right off the bat. I, I've been saying to people that I think the Leafs should just roll their top six for four or five, four minutes of the the game. And in, I know it sucks for that bottom six not to be able to get going right away, but if you roll that top six out there, push the pace, get them some minutes early, and kind of take advantage of the fact that Montreal is going to roll their four lines like almost every team does. Maybe you get a matchup where Austin Matthews is playing against the fourth line, or William Nealander gets to take advantage of the third defensive pairing, and, and you just score early, and you do get that opportunity to silence the game, silence the crowd early. I think it's going to be about kind of just maintaining the defensive structure that they've had for the vast majority of the series. I think we're probably going to see Travis Dermott in the next game. And I think that's going to be a, a nice little addition to the blue line. And, and like I said, get going early. I think you got to go early, especially because there will be fans in the building. We talked about it and if Montreal scores first, that could, that could really change the momentum in a game that none of these guys have played in front of people. And like you said, 15 months. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. I think I think scoring first is going to be huge. Like that, that's going to be the main key. You know, Montreal scored first tonight, and it kind of gave them a little bit of momentum to, to, and kept going. And next thing you knew, it you blinked, it was three nothing, right? And then from there, the the Leafs had to battle back. Uh, so I think scoring first definitely is is going to be a big thing. And I, I, like I said, one of the things that tonight what Montreal did was they got to the front of the net. They suffocated. Um, the goaltender and they were able to, to pounce on loose pucks. Toronto's got to get back to it and make sure that they're boxing out their guys and not allowing people into the kitchen of Jack Campbell, because that was really like almost tonight's kryptonite. Um, and has been the, the biggest difference between the way that the Habs scored tonight where they weren't scoring the last few games. So I think if they get back to that, that'll be another recipe for success as well. All right. Give me, Give me your prediction. Do they end it tomorrow? What's the score? And give me a goal score as well.
1: All right. Well, I think th- I think they do end it Saturday. I think they, they end up winning. I- I'll go with 4-2 just because it's fun. Like, that's a, that's a good score. 3-2 in an empty netter. I think I think Willie has a- at least one goal. I think he has a pretty big game. And, and Kerfoot and Gouch will kind of get a couple points because of that as well. But I, I do think that top line is going to get on the board. I think even if it is that, that late goal that kind of puts them over the top or, or even just the empty netter. I think Matthews or Marner, one of them will get on the board and, and hopefully it kind of spurs things on as they go forward in the playoffs here.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on a, on a lot of that. Um, I think 4-2 is a real solid score. You know, 4-2 uh, in in game six to, to win the series, four games to two, that makes a lot of sense. And I get the sense, a guy like Jason Spezza could really come to play tomorrow, right? Like he can get energized by people in the building. Like a, a guy who loves the game that much. Uh, I feel like maybe he can have a, a monstrous game again for Toronto and, and really s- step up for them. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to take a gamble here and say that Spezza kind of turns the clock back again and gets himself on the, on the goal sheet and that they win in six and advance to the second round for the first time since 2004. How much of that do you remember?
1: Uh, I remember it very clearly because I watched it on a very small black and white television in my room because my mom was like, no, I'm watching my shows. You can watch hockey somewhere else. Black so and I, white. I I remember the black and Oh yeah. Black and white in the mid-2000s? Oh, yeah, baby. I had this little tiny TV in my room. It was no bigger than a laptop screen that we all kind of have now. And (laughs) I watched the entire playoffs on it. I still remember trying to figure out if that uh, goal in the finals went in for Tampa or not. And, I mean, just so much fun. Just a great year. (laughs) Dude, it was 2004, not
0: 1984. What are you, black and white?
1: I mean, it feels Uh, like 1984 that long ago. Oh, You're right.
0: It does feel like it was a long, long time ago, and and hopefully, you know, the Maple Leafs can kind of exercise those demons Saturday night, get themselves a victory, and move on, um, where they'll meet the uh, the Winnipeg Jets in round two. But before we get ahead of ourselves, there is one game to play, and that is going to be uh, Saturday night in Montreal. Twenty five hundred people will be in the stands for that one. Uh, hopefully. It's a good game. I think it will be, based on what we've you know, what we've talked about. And uh, I'm excited for it. Hopefully the the buds can end it as well. Uh that's the new it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You'd subscribe to the Locked On Leaves Podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily leaves content. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leaves and follow Tony at the Tony Ferrari on Twitter. And, uh, Tony, you got anything that you're writing that's coming out soon?
1: I've got nothing coming out right now. I'm working on the big end of the year rankings and the big end of the year fantasy prospect report. So, my my output for the next couple of weeks might be a little low, but it, it's got some big stuff coming.
0: You're a draft guy, so I do got to ask this question because my man, Owen Power, playing really well at the Worlds, has he moved up in your rankings at all? Because I know that he wasn't your top guy, but he is the top guy. Cons- um, according to TSN's prospect rankings, as well as the, I believe the, uh, scouting bureau also ranked him as the number one guy. Uh,
1: has he made his way up on your list yet? He has made his way up, but he's still not the top guy. I think uh, another guy that we've seen at the world says Matty Benares. And I, I think he's the guy that has solidified himself on a lot of lists that aren't the, the mainstream lists. And I think, uh, Owen power certainly has been playing his game has improved since the start of the year at big time. He's one of the biggest improvers of the year. And and I, I do credit him for that because at the start of the year, he was pretty low on my rankings and probably far too low at, at number 10 or 11 at the time. But now he's in the top five, right around that five or six range. So I, I think he's going to be a guy that, much like I've said all year, the top of this draft is so wild. I could see four, five, six guys even going first overall. And Owen Power is certainly one of the guys that if if a team decides to take a chance on, he's certainly not the worst bet.
0: Well, the Maple Leafs will not have to worry about that, though, because, well, they traded their first-round pick away. So even if he falls into, like, the 20s, Leafs still aren't going to be able to pick him up. Uh, All right. uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. Tony, once again, thank you so much for joining me. I'll be back with another episode next week, uh, Monday, that is. Hopefully We'll be recapping a win on Saturday. So enjoy that game, ladies and gentlemen. Go Leafs, go. Um, Yeah, so I'll be right back. I'll be back next week with another podcast. Until then, keep locked right here on Locked on Leafs.